like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Um, we're hoping that we get to record an episode. We've been spending about half an hour trying to figure out our technical difficulties, um, but we're going to try and go ahead. So joining me today for another panel discussion of, of an article uh, are some really amazing people. Um, Bethany Corey is here today. Hello. And Tiffany Pearsall. Hi. And Keisha Reed making her nerd debut. Hello. <laughs> and Lisa Murphy is here. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to talk about um, an article today written by the revered, respected, and beloved Tamara Jacobson. Uh, who you've heard so much about on this podcast, probably. And, uh, and when, when do we get to have her on the podcast? Um, that that fell apart. <laughs> um, so I'm I I am not opposed to trying that again. But I did try to get her um, to discuss this article with Lisa and I like months ago, and then it didn't work, and was going to work, and didn't work, and then I dropped the ball. So I decided just to move on. <laughs> And invite her for another uh, for another episode. Um, oh. um, so anyway, this article is called "What We Do Matters," and like the article from the previous episode where we discussed uh, why "cute" was still a four-letter word, this article was written in the '90s. And um, as Bethany so eloquently put it during that conversation. Why the hell are we still fighting this stuff? <laughs> hey, I'm going to interrupt. Yeah. So just this morning, um, I got a text from somebody who, all she did was send me a screenshot of a book. She's like, hey, should I read this? And I was like, you know, it's always good to have stuff because sometimes it shows that we've come this, it, sometimes it helps us show how much we've not yet proven our point, even though we often think, that all the stuff that's out there should indicate otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's not um, a, a criticism or in any way devaluing when I say these. No, 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 not at all. It's just like perspective that 
all these brilliant people had all these brilliant thoughts 20 years ago or 30 years ago and we're still trying to make the case for people <laughs> well and that were evidence-based at the time right so how <laughs> right. many more you know how many how many more times do we need to have another study to to show that we were right 20 30 40 50 60 years ago mm -hmm. oh it's a it's a huge if you didn't notice touch point for me <laughs> it's a trigger <laughs> so okay lisa thanks uh, <laughs> there she is so we're going to start with um rather than trying to summarize the the article like we have with others just just sort of set the stage by saying she's she's making a case the daily day in day out interactions environments we offer for young children matter and um children are not automatically protected from from our bad practice does that sound fair uh, yes. like sure we know that children are resilient and i know that a lot of research about resilience has come out since this article was written but i don't think that necessarily just because we know children have a capacity to be resilient that that exonerates us from from things we do that we know could have a negative impact on them i think a lot of times it's the high quality early childhood settings and early childhood experience that lends itself to that resiliency that we're talking about so sure. void of that are they you know void of that are they really as resilient right they're not automatically resilient just because they're children and they're young it's they can experience resilience when adults around them are intentional does that make sense yep. and i also want to ask do we want to cash in on their resilience mm. this young yeah talk about that what do you mean like not that resilience is a limited quantity that you're born with and you use up like nine lives but like why are we asking children this young to use their resilience skills mm -hmm. right right That's and i right. took it are we I supposed it. to be the mama bird with her wings over the nest why why are we pushing them out before they're ready yeah before they need to yeah, yeah lisa I what were you it, gonna say i i well i was gonna add to what tiffany said i took it one one layer of questioning um maybe even beyond that of just why are we still um allowing environments where they need to pra practice resiliency right yeah <laughs> which is probably the same exact thing that tiffany yeah. just said yeah can i can i uh, start a conversation here about um the problematic nature of the phrase high quality child care or high quality early childhood experiences <laughs> you know that's the first thing i circled <laughs> can we unpack that let's start let's let's go there for a minute um because keisha you're you're right to say that a high quality environment can offer that kind of resilience and foster it but i don't know that we're in agreement over what that means as a as a field and as a group of a community of practice. We absolutely are not <laughs> yeah we are not and when lisa was talking earlier about um it's you, you guys are all talking about it's been 20 years of us having this research the the most frustrating part for me is that even within the field we don't agree on what we already know so the the idea of having to then go outside of that bubble and, and inform other people it's it's just it's a, it's a big task when we as a field haven't gotten it together mm -hmm. you circled okay. it tiffany what do you want to say about it 
I mean, the same thing I always say about high quality. What it, what is what do those words mean? Like it's a placeholder for what I think is the best education. What yeah. I think is the best experience for a child of this age. But what does it mean? I think I know what Tamar means by it because I oh. love her and want to believe everything she says. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, high quality, Tamar, you say it. But then when anybody else says it, I'm like, no, mm, define your terms. Like this, uh-uh, doesn't cut it. Yeah. Well, that's where I'm at with that. Yeah. And just, a- yeah. Yeah. Uh, Keisha, I just wrote down what you said because nobody agrees on what it means. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's, with developmentally appropriate practice, people can say it all they want, but then you have this big book and big body of research to go back on to say, no, this is exactly what they are meaning. Mm-hmm. Where is that for high quality? Mm-hmm. Well, it depends on who funded the study. Mm-hmm. And who you're trying to convince to give you yeah. more money or to give you, um, you know, who you're, who you're talking to, who, who you want something from will impact mm-hmm. how you use that phrase, if that makes sense. Like, I, I mean, th- for me, the def- definition of high quality links directly back to what we know is developmentally appropriate, correct for children, for what we know that research says. So if those two don't then your definition of high quality, it doesn't line up. So it has to link back directly to what we know and what we've already proven is developmentally appropriate for children. So I, sorry, I was looking to, to see what else uh, Tamar actually said about, uh, about this idea. So in the article, she says that research demonstrates that children who attend poor quality show negative effects, why high quality can predict all these other positive things. And then uh, she says there's evidence that a large percentage are barely adequate or inadequate for quality, um, which I think is still true. Like I I can't give you the studies and and cite the source right now, but I think that is probably still pretty relevant. Here's another soapbox for me. Yeah. Why are we so concerned with high quality and not just quality? Mm-hmm. So, so Tiffany, you and I recorded a long time ago about, um, I'm trying to remember what your phrase was, but this is something you and I have talked about before, where you talked about um, healthy. You talked about healthy yeah. environments rather than high quality environments. And that has really stuck with me. And, and I know, so can you, can you kind of give us a refresher on that? idea well we as a field i feel like we're fighting so much for high quality but we're also missing that there's this baseline of quality that also is healthy i mean to me they're the same thing that like we need to make sure everybody's performing at that c level before we're going to expect them to like blow the roof off of this and why are we so worried about this percentage of high quality yes I agree every child should have this high quality experience. But in that, I think we're alienating all these programs that need to be striving for quality first. I, like where I, is that baseline? I feel like this comes back to a conversation we had um, when we were discussing the article, what does it mean to care? Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how 
I think that was the one. Or it might have been, I don't know what it was in one of these article conversations. We were talking about how like we as educators feel like we need to like advocate and and let everybody know like we are high qual like this is high quality, this is what it looks like, and we just keep like talking about it. And so that's why it's become this big thing of like, well, it's gotta be high quality because we're we're trying to um, like explain ourselves to people who don't know what best practices are. Sure, like we, we, we need some sort of quick elevator speech for the people who are sort of on the outside of the field to say, here's what, here's what, what is a good thing to look for. But, but even with, I think what we've been saying is that internally we can't even agree on that. So how are we going to bring any right. outsiders yeah. into that? Um, I think it, well, I'm sure it was Travis uh, Manley who said he was going to develop his own accreditation system and it was just going to be walking into the room and saying, oh, I think they're happy. You're accredited. <laughs> <laughs> There's joy in play in this room. You're accredited. <laughs> it's also the, the, it's like the play comparison. Like, why does it have to be high quality play? Why does it have to be purposeful play? Why can't mm -hmm. it just be play? play. Why yeah. can't it be healthy? Why can't it be quality, right? Instead mm -hmm. of all these other words, let's get to the heart of what the main word is and let's bring everybody. I love that up to the C level. Um, you know, let's, let's make sure everybody's doing it good enough before we start putting badges on people who've gone above and beyond. Mm -hmm. I would, I would get behind a campaign like that. Start making signs for your lawn about that. Right. <laughs> I care enough. I care enough. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, I, I think we sort of, we got, and, and that's where I wanted to go with the first part of the conversation. We got off, off on this sort of trying to define the term and agreeing that we can't define the term. Um, but the main idea is that there are some really sort of harmful practices that are part of day-to-day um, childcare programs and schedules and expectations on children that we sort of say, well, you know, it's not hurting them or they sit through circle time, so it must be okay. Um, and, and on uh, page two, sort of in the middle of that first section, she says, we become confused thinking that if children are capable of enduring boredom, it does not mean uh, that they're challenged by the topic. It doesn't mean that it's hard for them to do, or it means it's okay to expect it from all children because some children can do it that way. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't hurt me, so I won't hurt them. It won't hurt them kind of thinking. We think about our own school experiences and we survived. Um, so, we, so other children can survive. Yeah. Yeah. I to me, that's sea level, right? That's okay. They survived. They're okay. I did my part. I mean, I understand not expecting everyone to be that, that, you know, starting from a place of high quality over the top. But I think we need to elevate our expectations past sea level. And can we at least get a B? I mean, I think a lot of people are doing sea level. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think uh -huh. we can at least get up there to a B. Start eliminating those things that are, maybe not at the face of it, doesn't look harmful. The kids are okay. Yeah. But we need to just to start pulling back some of that. We need more than okay children sure. is, is what I'm getting from this article um, and what I feel for myself. 
Yeah. How many of us or anyone listening got into the work because we want to make sure kids are okay. We want to make sure they're surviving every day and they're just, they have, by. They have an adequate day with us. <laughs> um, but, but then we sink into and accept practices that are exactly that. Um, so, so part of me feels like whenever I want to talk about something like this, I'm like, well, you know, but there's this reason that it happens and there's this reason that it happens and it's understandable that they act this way, but nothing's going to improve if we can't hold our, our own field up to a higher standard too, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Not very well. I think we also need to start adapting. I think I'm going to stand with my sea level because I think that sea level needs to add its core, do no harm like yeah. the Socratic Oath for doctors. Mm-hmm. And to me, if the kids are just okay and they're resilient enough to live through this, you're still doing harm. Mm-hmm. You're not doing no harm. Right. Still doing harm. Right. And so she, she talks later about this seeming resilient and pleasing those in authority is often the way children handle feelings of powerlessness. So we may look at a group of children who are able to go through our chopped 15 minute daily schedules and sit in groups and do table work and worksheets and, you know, phonics curriculums or whatever. And, and what we're really seeing maybe is children who've given up because they know they have no power with us. 100%. That is damaging. (laughs) Beyond damaging. And, and that brings up, you know, is that what you want to get them ready for? Like the whole readiness argument and conversation that surrounds that, you know, and you start saying ready for what? To be compliant? To give up? <laughs> right. Um, to realize they have no power and nobody cares about their thoughts or ideas? That's a great way to start school. <laughs> <laughs> or to live your life. Like yeah. how, how many people are in jobs like that as adults? <laughs> they are just miserable, but it's because we've been conditioned for so long to feel like that's all we can expect from our lives. (laughs) That definitely stuck with me in the article where um, Tamar was talking about learned helplessness Mm -hmm. and how um, thinking about learned helplessness as something that you're like conditioned into believing when in actuality we're actually teaching learned helplessness. It's not that we're responding in this give and take of a relationship and we've promoted learned helplessness through like Pavlovian bits of food or whatever. It's that we are actively teaching learned helplessness to all of the students in our class. And praising it and valuing it and using that model of learned helplessness to manipulate those who are struggling. And leaving. Whole, oh, I love the way you're sitting so quietly when it's yes. really trying to We're get that other kid. Actually, good programs that are developmentally appropriate to seek out programs that teach learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> yeah. But it goes back to what Tamar said. That's what's within us. Like that's what we learned. Right. So we think it's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I did it. It's fine. I did it. I turned out. Okay. Look at me. So it's just that trickle down effect of mm-hmm. we learned it. And it's the norm. So that's, that's another part of the challenge we have is to unteach some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Can I read you guys a quote that I came across yesterday that's just like stuck with me at my core? I suppose. Can can you? I can't. <laughs> <Lisa>. May I? <laughs> um, it says, have we fallen into a mesmerized state that makes us accept as inevitable that thing which is inferior or detrimental? 
as though having lost the will or the vision to demand that which is good. Um, will you please send that to all of us? <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. Who said it? What's that? Rachel from? Carson. Oh, uh huh. Uh, I saw course. a lot of her on Facebook yesterday for some reason. Yeah. I was going to say, I might have seen that. Or at least I saw something from Rachel Carson that I didn't read. Yeah, send yeah. that to me so I can read it and mull it over. Get her book. Yeah. So, Tiffany, read that again real quick. Read that again real quick. Have, have we fallen into a mesmerized state that makes us accept as inevitable that which is inferior or detrimental, as though having lost the will or the vision to demand that which is good? Giving well, up. Yeah. I was going to say, and much it's, eloquent way. It's, it's not that we're giving up. It's that we have never known anything different. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And it's like the opposite of kids that grew up with the internet. Like, for those of us that remember life with before the internet, it's like, oh yeah, there's also life everywhere else that exists without it. <laughs> but if all you know is, yeah. Like, and it's it, it never even occurred to you that it could be different. And I think that reality is a lot of parents of young children right now. Oh, yeah. And it's only yes. going to get worse because the, the parents are going to be people who haven't yet, haven't experienced authentic play in childhood. Mm -hmm. The older we get, the more we're going to encounter that with families. Yeah. And Lisa, you, you touch on that in, the, in your new book, right? That how can we expect to give what we've never gotten? Mm-hmm. Yep. And how do you see, how do you, do you, do you then at some point as the practitioner learn that there's value to what you're being told or do you have to actually experience it yourself? Is it a blend of both? Do you start by taking somebody's word for it and then change your practice and see the benefits or do you do it just because somebody told you? I mean, there's lots, I think there's lots of different entry points. I call it dealing with the pipeline problem. You know, how, how do you get them to see that this is important stuff, even though they didn't get it. Probably going to be a good mix of that. People having to get it in all different ways. I think a good start would be um, fixing our higher ed system right now. 100%. Yeah. Because there's yeah. a lot of misinformation going, coming down that pipeline. Yes, that <laughs> because if you're not, I mean, like a doctor, a doctor doesn't grow up doing surgery on people like they go to school and they learn the appropriate stuff mm -hmm. so if we do get to that horrible sad point where the adults have not experienced this for themselves we're going to need to uh give them some real information when they get to school mm -hmm. because and then hold them accountable and then yeah. hold them accountable to that this is best practice and if you deviate from this you're going to lose your ability and permission to engage in this profession done line in the sand and that, I mean, this is a hot button topic for me. Me too. If you haven't done your own psychological bullshit to get yourself in a headspace that allows you to do this job, you should not be allowed to do this job, period. Line mm -hmm. in the sand. Go right. clean up your own stuff so you don't keep passing it on. Passing it down. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And it is a lot of self-work. This Tons is of it. Work. And it doesn't stop. It's not like, you know, I've done it all and now I'm ready. Right. It is ongoing intentional self-work. And it's, it's part of the reward part for me. Like it's part of what makes this, 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 um, I don't want to say job because it's not a job for me, but this profession, <laughs> yeah. this passion, what makes it so, um, I don't know, 
powerful for me because it's, it's, it's also software and you have to do it. You, that's part of, I don't want to say the word again, but high quality to me is having, I'm scared to say it, having adults who are, are, are also doing that tough work that they have yeah. to do on themselves. Lisa, I'm with you on that. If yeah. you haven't done that work and you're coming in every day and bleeding all of that stuff onto children, that is doing harm, right, Tiffany? Yes. That was my initial entry point into Tamar's work. When I first sat in on her workshop, I had no idea who she was. And she started off with how all the shit that was done to you, you are now doing to kids in some degree, manner, shape, or form, whether you're aware of it or not. And I stood up and I'm like, I love you. And I want to know you. And that was what started our relationship. And it's all part of being a mindful caregiver. Oh my God, Bethany. <laughs> It, 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 is, in the mindful. it is being mindful. Yes, um, yes. Oh, that's that word. That's the other word. That <laughs> yeah. Right now. I had to get it in um, there. Yeah. And, and um, one of the, uh, who was it that said it? I think it was Tom from the Body and Mind podcast. He actually challenged me. He said to not see it as a negative model because I, and, and those of you who know me. Okay. I, to not see what as a negative model. Go back for a minute. To not see what awesome. as a negative model? To what I'm about to say, which oh. is the... the <laughs> <laughs> that I say sometimes, not as much in public, but you know, I realize now I'm on a podcast, but, but to my inner sanctum, I, I will unpack because it's shorthand. I say that our profession attracts broken women. Yes. And, and he was like, that's kind of negative. And I'm like, sometimes the truth is negative. <laughs> it is. But it gave me pause for thought about how can you still unpack it as a conversation mm -hmm. without it having like a negative tone to it or an accusatory tone to sure. it. Um, and so I very much took that input seriously mm -hmm. um, and trying not to see it as like a negative broken model, but still at the same time needing to acknowledge that if you haven't done your own work, you, you know, it doesn't, like Keisha said, you're, you're never done doing your own work. But if you didn't even realize you had some work to deal with, that scares me that you work with children. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, it's not that, I mean, I think that all people are broken, right? Like show me a healthy person and <laughs> I'll never see anyone. Right. But, but in our profession, if we are broken and not working on ourselves and doing the hard self work, then we are affecting the children, like because there are, there are, if I'm a banker and I'm depressed, whoop de do like the money's <laughs> going to be fine, you know, but, but not emotionally like, abusing the money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you're right. And I think what happens then Bethany is we, those people, and I definitely was one of them. Um, am one of them who came in broken and is constantly trying to keep that perspective and keep that from bleeding in to my work. Th that's why some people stay in the work, even though they should, you know, they're getting something from mm -hmm. either the yeah. children's obedience or their um, hugs. Uh, hugs or, you know, being able to say that this is what I do. They get something out of that. And I think that's another piece of the self-work that has to happen. Um, there are a lot of people who seek power. And they find this field to be mm -hmm. the only place where they can get that need met within them. Oh, and you can be the queen of your castle. <laughs> it's really, it's, 
it's just sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's really sad. But, but I think too, there, we need to start implementing some, some within the work environment, some way to help or some way to support the adults who are dealing with that and also genuinely want to do this work. Mm-hmm. So how can we help them, uh, I don't know, get past that or, or work through that? Mm-hmm. We don't have anything set up like that within our field mm-hmm. specifically for people who need some help in that area. Yeah. Well, so is, that something, is that our responsibility? Is that something that we should be doing? Well, I, my, my initial reaction is that's too big. We can't do that. Mm-hmm. But if what our job is, is to provide care for children who are dependent on us and to do that without doing harm, then yes, it's our job to do whatever it takes to get there. And if that means finding some way to build up and support and, um, and sort of guide the adults, then yeah, I think that needs to be part of, of the work. How it happens, much more difficult question. <laughs> I'm stewing over here. Uh-huh. I think that along with the banker analogy, if the banker was bad at math, they would have to question their choices and the people around them would naturally question their choices. Mm -hmm. But if they presented bad at math, they never would have been given the job in the first place. And that's where I think our profession needs to like stand up and grow a set and be a little bit more line in the sand. Sorry to say it now three times of like, you know what? I love that you love children, but you don't do this job. Well, (laughs) I love I love buildings. I love architecture. I love old buildings. That does not qualify me to be an architect. I could love buildings all freaking day long. It's not enough. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, everyone. Keisha just typed into the chat box. I can't hear Lisa, but she looks passionate. (laughs) I can hear now. I can hear now, but go, girl. Whatever you said, that was good. Well, and I love it when you guys add, because some, like, I'm speaking right now specifically to Heather, Tiffany, and Bethany, because I've, I've known them longer than, oh. than you, Keisha, but they know some of my sound bites. Like, they know some of the stuff that sets me off on that soapbox, and I love it when they add more to it, right? So now <laughs> I don't sound like a broken record anymore. I got more stuff to make the point in a way We're that somebody, right over the plate for you right? yeah. <laughs> add this to it bankers boom math boom <laughs> make my argument stronger thank you with the assist um, fight. i have more to add yeah. to your fire yeah. do it do it do it keisha back to your what is quality bc level what is healthy i think we need to add um teachers that are giving more than they are receiving from the children. Mm. Mm. I think, honestly, I think quality too often is defined by what's on your lesson plan and what's on your shelf and very rarely by the people in the space. And I don't know what kind of system you use to measure that, but I think until whatever whatever body is coming in to determine whether you are high quality or not until they start talking to people in that classroom or home and saying, why do you do it this way? What is this adding? Why did you make that decision? 
those are the kinds of things that determine quality way more than how many different kinds of blocks you have. Amen. Yeah. And those relationships in that room, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't come in for, I mean, it's impossible to measure the relationships in the quick amount of time that they come in and count your blocks on your shelf. Mm-hmm. That's not high quality. So taking it back to the idea that we as a field need to agree on what it is, the people who determine if we are or aren't high quality or if we are or aren't accredited or how many stars we have, um, that whole system needs to be revamped because they're not measuring relationships. Mm-hmm. And money needs to be unhooked from those systems. Yes. That's yes. never going to happen. Yeah. I know. It's never going to happen. It doesn't mean I can't say it. <laughs> but it all goes back. How many times have we all said that we need to make our own, right? We've got to make our own. Yeah. Make our own. Yeah. You know, and how do you do that and stay pure and true to, to it without selling out? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I've talked about that before. I've been approached thousands of times to put a ooey gooey 52 days of goo curriculum set together. I'm not going to contribute to that nonsense. 52 days of goo. Right? <laughs> Because it's cute because it rhymes, 52 days of goo. And I'm like, that's blood money. Blood money. And I'm not going to accept it. But if you did accept it and made it the most subversive, like, (laughs) anarchy classroom course ever, it would. That would be amazing. (laughs) My my ex-husband said that we should have done it taken the money and then with all the money create something that was like the most developmentally appropriate right you know and use, it, use the money yeah. for good but that's yeah yeah it's still your name out there though man right i don't want my name attached to that it's still it's still do no harm it all comes back to that is there anything else in the article that you guys really wanted to get to that we haven't gotten to lisa i do i do just i want to point out lisa always has a snarky margin comment that she wants to add i i I think I led with it more of the the, how do we ensure that we aren't the reason why they have to practice resiliency and learning how to bounce back. But I did want to say that on, on the second page down towards the bottom, when she says that frustration, resentment, rebellion, and apathy might be some of the ways a child calls out for help, trying to tell us that she's not as resilient as we think to inappropriate practice. But then we just, again, if the teacher is not willing to see and, and be understanding of those typical, very developmentally appropriate reactions to inappropriate expectations, now, now that child is, is the behavior problem, right? Mm-hmm. And we're in a horrible, other vicious cycle. You know, mm-hmm. I can't make room for you because I'm not willing to see that the reason why you're even doing this behavior is because I have no idea that what I'm doing. Right. You're trying to tell me that, <laughs> that this is not working and I'm ignoring you either willfully or um, yeah. unconsciously. Yeah. The child is in their way of their teaching. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, hey, come on, get in line. I'm trying to teach her here. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> get it together. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is a whole other, yes, whole other conversation. Whole other episode. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else? Parting shots? Last thoughts? Tiffany's oh, got. I can tell. I love Tamar. I just, I'm. <laughs> I'll, I'll listen to anything she has to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get her. I'll bring you all back when I know when Tamar can record with us. <laughs> she's so gracious we'll be the peanut gallery yeah if nothing else we'll just go ooh, ah, (laughs) while she talks 
All right. Well, thank you all for um, for being on and working through all the the audio issues that we've had. Hopefully, by the time this gets out to people, they'll be able to to hear us. <laughs> but it's been a challenge recording it for you all. Um, thanks for listening, and come back again for another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.